cat's pajamas, the bee's knees, tiny tots with their eyes all aglow, <laughs> checking levels. They're too low. I should sing higher and higher. No, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah, no, you I'm stop. No, I'm great. John, are you looking forward to the Christmas season? <laughs> While well, we sit inside and do nothing. <laughs> Indeed, I am, Greg. It's gonna be. It's gonna be fun on a bun. <laughs> Never heard that before. I'm going to steal it and use it. Um, that's that's from Futurama. Okay. Which <laughs> season, go. though? The good ones or the... The old... Uh, I really don't remember. Bender says it. It's one of Bender's many, many catchphrases. Yes. <laughs> so I think because he has it's an innumerable amount of catchphrases, I think you're, you're well within your right to steal a few of them. Got it. Okay. As I'm yeah. sure Bender has. <laughs> there you go. There you go. phrase about being a gas with gas or something no <laughs> like no we don't need being that fun filled need that. And <laughs> no no there's that there's that writer's brain of yours oh there's there's got to be something there <laughs> absolutely and i'm gonna invent that turn of phrase and it'll light the world on fire like a fart next to a lighter it'll oh my gosh it'll explode oh in a wonderful Ugh. already we're at low taste <laughs> the lowest taste we could possibly be how dare you yeah i know i i brought you here so we could talk about disney plus's 90 million new shows that they have coming out next john okay how how all right i'm crestfallen i'm heartbroken over the potential loss of theaters now that time warner or whatever they're called now warner media um is deciding <laughs> to you by at&t yes is deciding to forego not forego but like release their movies theatrically in addition to on hbo plus um because they have them. It's not H- It's not HBO Plus. It's, it's HBO whatever. Max. Idea. <laughs> Max. <laughs> the worst streaming platform. I guess we'll get to that later. But uh, all right, say your piece about Disney Plus or whatever. Because I want to move past that. Uh, well, I mean, a part of part of I feel like the investors call the reason why they tried to make it such big news is because they were obviously shots fired from HBO Max. Oh, we're gonna forego. We're gonna do theaters and streaming at the same time. Better sign up for HBO Max now. And we're basically living in a duopoly now where mm-hmm. everything is either Warner Brothers or Disney. So Disney has to be like, oh, you think that you know HBO Max can compete with us? Well, we've got 9 million Star Wars products and 9 million Marvel products and 9 million Pixar Wait, John, products. are you arguing that th- things are done just for shareholders and to make them feel good and happy? <laughs> <sighs> Believe it or not, Greg, yes. Sometimes it feels that way, okay? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like Disney doesn't care about the customer, okay? <laughs> It's hard. It's hard sometimes. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry you've been heartbroken. Now I need a moment. Okay? Now I need a moment. <laughs> All right? All right. Perhaps a... Excuse me? I'm speaking. Perhaps the bigger financial news on this financial podcast that you and I do, um, called <laughs> The Indicator, um, is that, um, yes, Warner Media is releasing its films on streaming the same way, the same day that it's out in theaters, starting with yes. Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day, upcoming Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, potentially, this could... We're talking about the loss of, I guess, one-fifth of their revenue now, if not more. Uh, <laughs> it'll be well, a big hit. It, a big hit that theaters are not prepared for, as they weren't prepared for uh, this financial, this uh, pandemic either. So, <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't feel any particular loss for the theaters because, as everyone's already mentioned, this is just speeding up the inevitable. Movie theaters were on their way out, and the pandemic just kind of sped up the process. Oh, really? Okay. You're obviously yeah. talking to different people on social media because all the, all the people I see are, are just as oh, crestfallen yes. as I. Oh. Like, 
No, like not not my precious theater, not the not the sitting in silence uh, uh, among other people looking at the same thing. Not the same not the same fulfillment you get at a concert or church, for instance. Or <laughs> so yes, I saw some uh, very spiritually hopeless people on <laughs> on the on the interwebs uh, lamenting this potential loss of theater. Probably forgetting that Universal already tried this about eight years earlier with Tower Heist and putting it to VOD like a. I don't know for what, like yeah, but that costs like fifty dollars. Yeah. Who the hell is gonna spend fifty dollars to see Tower? Heist I know the, br- the brass balls on the Comcast people would be like exactly. And now I am upset though because they did set uh, Trolls Two at like twenty, and that was apparently a success according yeah. to them. Yeah. So that's kind of unfortunate that now twenty seems to be the the standard price to watch something that just comes out on your home that you can rent for a day, which is insane. Which is yeah, which is it's a digital product. There's no scarcity to it, so <laughs> fuck you. Still, but compared to most theaters now, that seems downright reasonable. I mean, how much? I does, guess that's true. How much does buying food and drinks for two people cost in a movie theater? Like it's got to be upwards of thirty dollars now. And absolutely true. Yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah, I will not be. Uh, the only theaters I miss are the art house ones, but those closed a long time ago. So because you know three screenings of a Wes Anderson movie can't put you in the black at year's end. So sorry, like I I don't care that AMC. Oh poor Regal, poor AMC. Oh boo. <laughs> yeah, you you probably should have picked a better business model for one thing. I that's what I was going to push back on. Like I agree with a lot of these people that yes, the theatrical experience is the best way to see a movie. I think you'll agree. No distractions, like the communal experience, mm-hmm. like a lot of people were like um, reminiscing about the, the joy that people felt at uh, all the Avengers um, coalescing at the end of Endgame oh, to God. take on. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so you could be cynical. Come on, like let people have their fun and enjoyment. Or, you know, Ray holding a lightsaber and taking on Kylo Ren. Yeah, I get that. Um, I'll always remember my theatrical experience watching the end of First Reformed and everybody in the theater looking at each other like, what the, what the hell was that? Um, those, are the, those are the theater experiences. Or when you and I saw There Will Be Blood uh, together. Oh, yes. Yeah. And oh, yes. when Brom... Deafening silence. Yeah. When, when Brom comes in after this, after this bludgeoning and everyone's just like, well, let's get back with our day. Um, <laughs> move it out of there. Now, one of, my, one of my favorites will be uh, always be... Um, Inception, yeah. at the end when he spins a little top and it cuts to black, and it's like half it was a weird mixture because half of it is like oh that was really clever and half was like oh that's bullshit <laughs> you can't pull that. <laughs> it was kind of like a wave. It was like whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I'll I'll agree with a lot of uh, cinephiles that the theater is the best experience, and obviously I want it to be part of our our cinematic uh, movie go or our our consumption of movies. Mm-hmm. However. All their complaints reek of, and I'm going to use this word, prepare yourself, John. It's it's a word that's been overused and lost all meaning. They're talking about the privilege. 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 Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to go elitist. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yes, you could go with elite, but we're talking about the privilege of watching those movies like, say, First Reformed, or uh, we saw uh, Gigantic, not Gigantic, what was the uh, the Colossal? the oh, Anne Hathaway awesome, movie yes. like getting the privilege to see that in a movie theater when obviously like what we're really talking about of these theaters shuddering is like the Regal 18 next to the JCPenney that's filled with like mm-hmm. <laughs> with like poor parents who like had to drag their three-year-old to the latest yeah. Marvel movie or something and it's disrupting everything it's about paying or the stoned 19-year-old who has nothing better to do on an afternoon yeah like and he's just got the ranks stench coming off him <laughs> or you know 
the people who talk at the screen, like it's yeah, <laughs> or the dirty floors you mentioned, the dirty floors are paying for, mm-hmm. God forbid, paying for parking in addition to like twelve dollars for a popcorn or something. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really what's going away, and I say that can't go away fast enough. Um, <laughs> so, and you also have to remember a lot of these, a lot of the people bemoaning the theater experience are critics yeah. who get you know special screenings that are like pampered to. Yeah, so, so I'm not saying I'm not going to say elite because that that word's also lost all meaning. But again, we're talking That's about true. the privilege. We might be losing losing the privilege of say seeing a Hirokazu Kurita film at the lame at the Lamel's Theater here in Los Angeles, or you going to the um, I, don't, I don't know. It's in what's that art house theater you like in? Uh, uh, Hillcrest. Uh, oh, that's a, that's the one I was talking about. That one's already gone. Oh, it's already that shuttered. one closed. In, okay. That one shuttered in like December. Okay, sadly. Yeah, and then uh, we also had one in my neighborhood uh, called the Digital Gym, which I never got to much. But that was like a single screen, like three showings a day. That one shuttered like immediately after the pandemic started. Yeah. <laughs> that was gone in like April. Uh, I don't know what they changed their business model to, but it was like, yeah, pfft, we're out of here. Bye. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that's kind of a loss, too. Again, I lament the art house independent theaters going away. I do not mourn for AMC or the, yeah. the big box ones. Whatever. Yes. Poison we get, we can mourn for maybe like teenagers losing their jobs, but... That's something else that, in, in addition to like the pandemic response, that's just our society not being able to like accommodate people <laughs> yes. at all. And instead, they'll try to distract us and say, like, oh, it's people being irresponsible. <laughs> or, like, <laughs> are you just weren't appreciative enough? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't go to this business. You didn't care to, to yeah. pardon or patron anymore. <laughs> How dare you? Yes. <laughs> Whereas, oh, what's that? A rubber stamp approval for the for the next Costco or Walmart? Um, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Um, but John, yes, I mean we can we'll lament um, the the potential loss for these art house cinemas in our respective cities. Uh, however, we do have the ultimate business model for them. Uh, as we explained last week, it is going to be small karaoke style, like house styles where you can have private mm. parties, put on whatever movie oh, you yeah. want, get drunk and rowdy as you want. It's perfect. Get drunk and rowdy as you want. Or if you want like a quiet, respectful experience, like, ooh, the new Paul Schrader movie or something, <laughs> you can do that too with other, your other film dorks. Um, I look forward to doing that alone. <laughs> Yes, that's my optimal theater experience in a theater alone. alone. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you can pay, I don't know, like reserve a room for $100, have all the drinks, the alcohol maybe that you want, or like have a have it be like a proper birthday party. Like whether you're ten, whether for ages six to sixty, like uh, have a, have a birthday party, reserve a room for a uh, hundred dollars, and get six or twelve of your friends or something. Split that cost, and you can have whatever kind of party you want with, I don't know, Trolls World Tour or Jurassic Park or whatever movie and, you wanted. And I'm telling you, this is gonna be perfect after the pandemic is over. Once everyone's vaccinated, it's just like yes. everyone's gonna want the communal experiences again. Boom, perfect time to invest. Absolutely. So that's why sharks. We're telling you, you need to get on the ground floor now. Yeah, and I'm not even. There's already documented documented evidence of this. I mean, I'm not saying you have to refurbish the AMC 12 theater or something in your, at your local mall. I'm saying downtown loft space. Kanye West, the the brilliant, unstable man that he is, has already done this, fitting a massive screen and playing Blade Runner 2049. There you go. Why not? While beat smithing, presumably, or something. Yeah. We could do that too. Why did he, why did he pick that movie? 
of all movies. I, well, it's clear it was just running in the back, but like people were milling around doing something else at this. Mm. Par- uh, I couldn't even like call it a party. This was in the middle of the pandemic, yeah. so it, it wasn't even like a party. But like, I think. Well, does does Kanye believe in COVID nineteen? I really want to know. Uh, <laughs> like, that's a that's a fair question. I, I think that's immaterial. The reason he picked that movie is because it looks nice. That's oh, why he picked God. that movie. Yeah. Because mm. as we know, Kanye West is the arbiter of taste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen his fashion line? <laughs> well, I don't want to make fun. Like, let's say he's not a he's not a deep thinker. <laughs> I'll say. Um, <laughs> wait, you're saying someone who voted for Trump isn't a deep thinker? <laughs> <laughs> no, somebody who ran against Trump in this in this climate. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Fair is, point. Isn't fair the point. yeah? Isn't the uh, <laughs> not a lot of mental acuity there, right? This is why you and I, uh, podcast hosts and somebody who can articulate their opinions, aren't running for president in 2020. Uh, whereas this guy, hugely talented well, musician that he is. We can't because we're not 35 yet. But that's true. come 2024, yep. ooh, baby, you better look out. Yep, the Mantel Johnson ticket. You're, you might have to split this ticket, good friends, okay? <laughs> yep. We're running on a socialist platform. All right, we're running on the mm-hmm. Epic platform. We're bringing it back, folks. We're bringing it back, Epic. <laughs> Upton Sinclair, eat your heart out. Look yes. out! <laughs> Look out! Here we come. It's coming. Yeah, we'll have to get our careers destroyed by. <laughs> now there are like, oddly enough, there are like fifteen William Randolph Hearst now. You just don't know their names, <laughs> which is really sad when yeah. you think about yeah. it. It's like this is kind of the position that only one person should really occupy. Sadly, now we have the Steve Bannons of the world and, and the Oh, I wouldn't even know. Yeah, screw No, not those guys. I'm talking like the Rupert Murdoch and Jeff, and Jeff Zuckers and, again, like shareholders mm-hmm. in Comcast and Warner Media um, that you don't even know about. But they're all William Randolph first at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, but are they having fashionable dinner parties where you come dressed as circus oh, characters? Oh, probably, come on. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no, not the circus we characters. We can only hope. Yeah, we I can, I can hope. hope so, yeah. Well, I guess we've talked to, we've talked around it a bit too much. I guess we gave the game away. Yes. Let's talk about a bunch of recent releases, shall we? Yes, here on the indicator. Uh, we'll see how they did, how the market <laughs> is affected by all these recent releases. I will say I've seen way more movies in 2020 than I would in a typical year because I'm not actually schlepping to theaters. So, again, could be a net positive, the, the demise of movie theaters, but... Uh, mm. We'll see. But yes, we're obviously talking about the la- latest. Uh, first movie in six years to come from the venerable David Fincher. We're talking about Mank. Oh, I, I saw a great movie last night. Yeah, it was on, it was on The Late Show. It was, um, uh, uh, oh, what was it called? It, it's a classic. It's a, real, it's a classic. It's, um, uh, oh, I hate this. I hate it when this happens. What was it about? Uh, it's about this uh, newspaper tycoon, and he's dead, and everybody's telling stories sure. about him, and it's it Citizen was... No, that's not it. No, 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 no. But it's something like that. It's uh, it's um. Uh, okay, who is in it? Uh, Orson Welles is in it. And it's. And this is called... Citizen Kane. It's Citizen Kane. No, that isn't it. That isn't it. But it's it's, it's, it's you're not far from it. It's uh. uh... Well, who else was in it? Oh, um, uh, I don't know. I was was uh... Joseph Cotton in it? What else has he been in? Uh, uh, the, the, the Third Man, The Magnificent Ambersons. Oh, The Magnificent Ambersons. Yes, yes, yes. He was in it. Yes. Oh, that's one of my favorite Orson Welles movies. Well, this is definitely Citizen Kane. Then you're talking about Citizen mm, Kane. No. No, no, but it's it's something like that. It's and John, it's, let me tell you, this is a, a snaf moo situation. Normal, all manked up. <laughs> uh, see, I was I was disappointed it didn't come out a few weeks earlier, mm-hmm. so we could have wished everyone a happy Thanksgiving. But now I have to settle for <laughs> now I have to settle for Merry Miss and a Happy Jew Year. Yes, I guess. <laughs> whatever. We got that. Uh, 
So yes. So uh, Mank. Yeah. Uh, exclamation point? No exclamation point? I'm not it sure. It should have been an exclamation point. It should have been okay. Mank. It should have been like his girl Friday. It should have been a screwball comedy. <laughs> yes. This is ostensibly about Herman Mankiewicz, who was the original writer of the great film Citizen Kane. And basically his travails in Hollywood as he deals with such titans of industry such as Orson Welles and uh, uh, you just said his name. What, I don't know, I'm already blanking on it. Uh, Citizen uh, Kane or William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Well, yeah, John, you said original. Um, can I give you a little history? Because I, I really don't want to Do color tell. your yeah I don't want to color your opinion on this film, but I know Pauline Kael has has her theories, and that's and this is yeah. kind of. I don't know specifically what it is, but... Okay, yeah. well, I, the reason I want to give you a history, because I can literally draw a straight line okay. from Citizen Kane to this movie. That right. I, I, History is rarely this straight. This line is so straight, John, it likes craft brews and listens to the Joe Rogan podcast. That's how straight <laughs> this line is. Boo! Yeah, boo! <laughs> Sorry, I had that one in the hopper. Anyway, so Herman J. Mankiewicz and Orson Welles were collaborators at the Mercury Company, and then Orson Welles started to get offers to come to Hollywood. And they started collaborating. They're like, why don't we do a story of a man's life? And, oh, why don't we do it in flashbacks and stuff like that? And um, mm-hmm. why don't we do it about Not a muckraker? Yeah, why don't we do it about a muckraker like uh, Upton Sinclair or William Randolph Hearst? Uh, hey, Mank, you knew William Randolph Hearst. And he said, yeah. And so they they kind of fictionalized it. William Rand- it, The resulting movie, Citizen Kane, was critically lauded but um, did terribly at the box office. Uh, William Randolph Hearst did his best to suppress it. Um, and so it kind of, like, disappeared in America. However, uh, after World War II, every, like all the French and the Spanish and Italian movies, like, hey, let's go to the movies, like guys, um, this will be fun. And they're catching up on everything that was coming out of, of America, including Citizen Kane. And also at this time, there are all these es- there are all these new magazines and essayists, um, like Sight and Sound magazine in Great Britain and the Cahiers du Cinéma in France. And they're like, hey, what are some of the best movies now that this like art form's established itself? And that's how Citizen Kane basically became regarded as the best movie of all time. An opinion which we kind of share. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we agree that it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's definitely up there. Yeah. It's definitely up there. It's definitely a masterpiece. Now, also going on with these magazines, are they're theorizing about film, and they come up with the auteur theory, particularly the Cahiers du Cinéma. And mm-hmm. so they come up with this auteur, auteur theory, which posits that, like, the director is the sole creative vision of a movie. Um, yes, it involves hundreds of... Uh, costume designers and set designers and writers, all that stuff. No, but the real creative driving force is the director. And that caught the eye of the Village Voice critic, Andrew Saris. And he started to popularize this theory of America. But enter uh, New Yorker critic and world-class bitch Pauline Kael. <laughs> yes. She hates Andrew Saris and really doesn't like this mm. idea. And in a what I assume is like a... a cocktail party drowning in vodka gimlet somebody says like here i got a story for you herman j mankiewicz really wrote the best film of all time which is like uh which is uh, citizen kane orson welles had nothing to do with it It was all my old friend mank and so she wrote a two-part mm. new yorker essay on it now mm. again she was a movie critic not a journalist so what real journalists did <laughs> is they started to piece together all the little telegrams correspondences and meeting transcripts and they and they kind of realized like hey pauline like um it's pretty evident that they worked on this together and collaborated <sighs> on it and your your story is a little specious and she said oh well had powder laugh cigarette and died and so like that's <laughs> well greg look this is we're talking about memoir okay it's how she remembers it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway uh, even if the story is a little apocryphal it's the kind of story where 
this myth perpetuates because it's a story of a writer who's like underappreciated or you know mm-hmm. kind of the underdog the kind of story yeah. that appeals to life magazine editor and part-time screenwriter jack fincher um, who wrote mm-hmm. a screenplay on spec and whose son david fincher would go on to direct his vision in the screenplay um so even though it's a little apocryphal that's why the movie exists um now john can yes. you tell me any other reason for the movie mank to exist Uh, uh. I mean, yeah. This is a phrase. This is a phrase you'll hear as we talk about all these movies. But for what purpose? For what purpose does this movie exist? Because this movie is rendered redundant by its own subject matter. Yes. It 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 perfectly recreates the feeling of watching a movie from the 1940s. It captures all the same plot points as Citizen Kane, even the same images, a bottle rolling out of his hand, like the snow globe, Mm -hmm. you know, Orson Welles smashing a big box of something. Yeah, there's a scene literally out of, like, Shakespeare in Love. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Like, wow, this character is downright Falstaffian, um, which is a term that will come up later. Yeah, (laughs) It's so... And worst of all, he shot it digitally. Oh, God. <laughs> like he didn't even—he didn't even bring out the film to give it that authentic look. Yeah. How dare he? Um, yeah, it's just like there's no point for this to exist. And it's not like an Amadeus situation where it's like, oh, it's apocryphal, but it's a good enough movie that it kind of stands on its own merits. It's just—it's fine. It just kind of lays there. It's just kind of like, oh, everyone's you know doing their old timey shtick, and you know it feels like an old like even the sound is like muffled, like it was like recorded on a wax cylinder or something like that like, <laughs> yeah like mono audio for what purpose yes that's the, that's the whole question kind of hanging over this movie is why and mm-hmm. as i explained the most obvious reason is because david fincher is a very talented filmmaker with clout and wants to direct his father's his late father's screenplay like that's that's the main reason mm-hmm. why but everything else is kind of immaterial like he can't bring the importance to the movie like the other importance is like this is generally regarded as the greatest film of all time but he doesn't, like, bring that out. I thought a more interesting version of the story was, like, you make it like Citizen Kane, and you make it about the investigation of its, like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. wait a minute, Pauline Kael just threw a bomb, like, in the film world, saying that Orson Welles was the, like, original genius behind this, the greatest movie of all time. Like, let's figure oh, it yeah. out, or something. Like, that would have been, like, that you can understand is worthwhile, and you build up the importance of the story. Like, let's look at mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. There's this newsreel, and they show, like, why this Titanic, why this figure is so titanic and why it's so important that we figure out who or what rosebud is with this movie mm-hmm. like it doesn't portend any importance behind the writing of citizen kane it's just like this main guy was kooky he was a charmer at parties and then he wants credit gets it and it's done <laughs> like that's it and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. establish the importance of the story which is that you know this this whole movie delved into the personal life of of marion davies and william randolph Hearst and could have killed Mank's career or possibly his marriage and it doesn't. It doesn't really like lay out any of that. Um, that's no. The only the only purpose I see is that it was trying to ring up some political machinations and kind of make some ties to what we're experiencing in the present day. Yeah. Uh, ostensibly, it's a story about Mank as he's trying to write Citizen Kane, but in the background, it's also about socialism versus capitalism, mm-hmm. and because he's. He, the reason why he met um, William Ramdahl's first is because he was writing reels and stories um, for him, you know, kind of like bringing entertainment to the news. Yeah. Oh, isn't that something? Isn't that a novel idea? <laughs> and obviously, once Umpton Sinclair is uh, running for governor under this socialist uh, banner, that's when a lot of like the big news folks are like, well, you can't have this. And 
he's he's trying to like imply that like Mank is the inventor of like fake news <laughs> and that he was like ostensibly created Fox News by accident and that's part of the reason why he drinks so much and why he needs to like make this film as like retribution but it doesn't lean too heavily into that no and also again talking about the purpose it's redundant because we've already have a near perfect movie that deals with Hollywood's relationship between capitalism and socialism it's called Hail Caesar <laughs> All right, the Coen brothers already did it, and they already did it beautifully. Yes, and it happens to also be in color and entertaining in ways. Like, whereas, yes. whereas, let's talk about the style. Like, David Fincher has demonstrated he can do whatever he wants with a camera, mm-hmm. and that includes like, maybe tell a story about this, about say the the merits of socialism versus capitalism, and these big grand sweeping statements. Like, he can do that. I don't know why he limited himself to this overindulgence of like being in black and white and shooting it on mono sound and limiting himself yeah. to the cameras. Like I don't, I don't know what it is about directors in their old age. They just want to they just want to make movies about people talking to one another and like how <laughs> interesting they can make that. Like Man, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but where to call him Mank? Mankowitz. Herman Mankowitz, New York playwright and drama critic. Turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hurst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder, lightning, blood, fire, religion. Help! Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why I always want Mank around. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. But also, like, it limits his greatest strength as a director because part of what makes his one of his trademarks is, like, he has, like, a God's eye view of the camera and it's always moving and it's always, like, shifting. Like, he does impossible things with the camera, or at least he did back in the day when it was, like, that was impressive. Now, yeah. obviously, no one cares. But here it's, like, because, again, he's trying to capture that feeling of a 1940s film. It's, like, the camera's just stock still. We get a wide, like, barely any coverage. So it's, like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I... Well, I think what you're supposed to care about is the performances, and namely the dialogue. And I'd, I'd say, mm-hmm. like, within certain scenes, you understand that. Like, um, I like it when people come to the ranch and try to talk Mank out of out of basically writing the screenplay, because it, it really jumps around time. The first of two movies, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that jump around um, a lot to a lot with time um, to the movie's demerit. But <laughs> I do like that um, those scenes in particular when he meets Marion Davies, like who's this old silent film actress and is heavily implied to be the Susan character who famously in Citizen Kane is this untalented singer that uh, Charles Foster Kane uses his wealth to build up her career um, even though she doesn't mm-hmm. really she doesn't really merit it um, so I, I like that that that's going on like but you really need to understand like the subtext of that or you need to be familiar with Citizen Kane to know like why that conversation is so important or why she's mm. like why she loves Mank or and, and why she loves Mank and why she's trying to talk them out of this. Same with her, his brother, uh, who became an equally great filmmaker in his own right, Joseph Mankiewicz. Um, he he would go on to direct movies like uh, Cleopatra and and a lot of other great write a lot of other great movies. Oh, he did Cleopatra. Well, yeah, well, okay. he was fired. He was fired after he became a Boondoggle, I think. Oh, <laughs> that's the first one that came to mind. Uh, okay. 
<laughs> he had notoriety before that. And um, so he might have done All About Eve. But anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, that's right. He did do All About Eve. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah he did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, um, it, it, we'll fact check that later. Like... It, I love the I love the little scenes like the the little setup when um, they meet the big boss at uh, Louis B Mayer at MGM and and uh, mm-hmm. they they pull in this green writer who like uh, and throw him to the wolves like immediately like come up with the ending yeah right? and for the ending we're thinking about why don't you tell him yeah. <laughs> like you know because they obviously don't have an ending yet yeah <laughs> so th- those scenes like work it works as like little episodes. Like, or the other, there's, like, a comedic scene where, like, he wants to help out his friend who's an out-of-work, uh, I believe, actor, or, like, he's 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 doing background or extra work, or, and and he's, like, comically, like, wants to give him change and asks the guard for, like, change or something and yeah. gives it to him, and he shows, like, his empty pockets. All, all in the background while uh, Upton Sinclair is basically uh, giving his mandate um, about the epic plan and basically bringing socialism to California, uh, played brilliantly by Bill Nye. Uh, that's that's great. I don't know. Wait, if you, really? Yeah, I don't know if you recognize him. I thought, like, wait a minute, is that Bill Nye? And I had to go to IMDb, and I'm like, that is Bill Nye. Bill Nye plays Upton Sinclair, only in, like, shadow in the background, basically. Yeah, like, you barely see him. He's, yeah. he's like, never seen at all. That's that's really disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, uh, but John, come on, a, a, a light as bright as Bill Nye still shines mm. through, even if he, if he is regarded as far away and in shadow. So, <laughs> I mean, he's got that voice for it. So, absolutely. <laughs> so, you, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just it's it's fine on a technical level, but you're right. It's just like it. It it serves no purpose. <laughs> it just reminds you that Citizen Kane is a great film, and the politics of it, I feel like, just don't kind of ring true. It kind of ties back to, into the fact that it's like, oh, you know, socialism. We all share in it together, and then you have a story about a writer who might not get credit for his masterpiece. Yeah. So <laughs> it kind of ties back into there, but yeah, like, ultimately, I think this was a fruitless exercise, even though... Yeah, David Fincher cared, I guess, and his his father's probably smiling down from heaven. Like, good yeah. job, son. <laughs> yeah, that's what, because David Fincher is also a really cold filmmaker, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm waiting for that. Like, if there's if he's ever going to do an overly sentimental project, like it would be this one. Mm-hmm. And but there isn't much sentimental about it. Like, I can credit Gary Oldman for being the center of it and really like being the center of gravity in the movie, and really laying down like how i mentioned anna taylor joy in the queen's gambit like it has this like gravitational this compelling force um but it's it's not like compelling enough to like give give this exercise anything more than a watt like again yeah it feels it still feels like an exercise it still feels like well i got to do this for my dad okay now that's over with and he didn't imbue it with the the emotional or political importance it kind of comes from the political sideways and saying like or hey, we should like consider the socialism instead of being suppressed by this uh, capitalist media, or like mm-hmm. our, our characters are sacrificing their principles by doing fake newsreels. One of them, you know, takes his own life because he couldn't get over it. So, like, and those episodes yeah. work sometimes, but yeah, it doesn't come together as a cohesive whole. Do come in. At this rate, you will never finish. You said 90 days. Well, said 60. I'm doing the best I can. I have put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. You owe me, Herman. Who do you think you are? You're nothing but a court jester. What I want to know is why do you think of it? It's a bit of a jumble, a collection of fragments that leap around in time like Mexican jumping beans. Welcome to my mind, old sock. Him, I get. 
But what did Marion ever do to deserve it's this? It's not her. Not all characters are headliners. Some are secondary. You pick a fight with Willie, you are finished. Mayor can't save you. Nobody can, especially the boy genius from New York. I removed any distraction, eliminated every excuse. Your family, your cronies, liquor. I gave you a second chance. You cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours. All you can hope is to leave the impression of one. I mean, and again, like, that's kind of the struggle I have with judging kind of movies like this is like the craft is fine. It's just intellectually the sensibilities are all wrong. And yeah. it's it's so much easier when you just see a bad movie on a technical level and then you can just definitively say, oh, it's a bad movie. But it's like when technically the movie's good, it's just, you know, there's just no heart to it. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's something that's going to come up later when we talk about other movies. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, let's move on to our, another, our next Netflix topic. This one's even more fraught, I think, historically and politically. Um, and it also jumps around in time. <laughs> I, now, John, you and I try to be fair. Yes, is that uh, absolutely? Yeah. <laughs> when you when you see us, don't you see just the modicum of objectivity? Absolutely. And so, <laughs> I'd say most of the time we're we're reviewing movies as consumers. Like, was this worth our time? Sometimes we get into the aesthetics and look at what they're doing in terms of performances or camera work, things like that. And very rarely do we look at movies uh, politically or historically. Um, mm-hmm. I know I just did with Mank a little bit. And, and that also like disappointed me. Like, hey, I want credit, and I'm just going to bring all the apocryphal wrong stuff at the very end. Um, <laughs> however, there's no getting around it with this. Of course, we're talking about the adaptation of the beloved memoir that everybody <laughs> loves. Uh, New York Times bestseller. <laughs> we're talking about Hillbilly Elegy. Well, I thought your mama was going to be all right. Be happy. I know I could have done better, but you, you've got to decide you want to be somebody or not. I've been doing real good. I just had a down month. I got an interview tomorrow, Mom, otherwise I... Oh, you know me. I always land on my feet. Don't look at that. Come on. Come on. Don't you look at me. You look at me. You look at me. You let her get away with this every time. I told you that I would do better. You always say that. You're lying. I always try. You got to think about these kids. What do you think I've been thinking about since I was 18 years old, huh? Never had a life where I wasn't thinking about the kids. Hillbilly elegy. Yeah. John, (laughs) it was... John, let's put on our pit helmets. Let's get our best safari gear. (laughs) That was what I was going to say. It's yeah. like, ah, the opening salvo of the Trump voter safari. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pity these poor creatures. <laughs> what strange customs they have. Yeah. If you were curious about the, the quality of this movie, I do want to point out there are multiple scenes where our, our hero, a real life a guy from real life, his name's J.D. Vance, he is driving through these cities and watching people out of his car windows like they are zoo animals. <laughs> <laughs> There are multiple scenes where this happens. <laughs> I mean, it's also... You're talking about, like, jumping around in time. It also, like, flashes back to something he never experienced. Yes. Which is, like, the joy of the 1950s. It's like, remember when Jobs used to be here? <laughs> remember when it was bustling downtown? And then it's, like, in the 80s, you see it, like, crumpled. And then you see it in 2020, and it's, like, really crumpled. And it's, like... <laughs> and it's all because we have bad moms. Anyway, cool. There, fast, yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's not about economics, it's about personal responsibility. Okay. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, Hillbilly Elegy is this year's Joker, 
which is, and again, going back to like the, the technical versus the intellectual sensibilities, like there's nothing technically wrong with this movie. Like the actors are giving it their all, the, the direction is fine. It's in focus like, and in color. Yep. And... It's in focus and it's in color and you can hear everything. Yeah. However, <laughs> if you try to intellectualize or figure out what this movie is trying to say, your brain will melt. It's like, what what are we doing here? I don't understand. Well, it's a huge contradiction. I, it can't it can't figure out what it's trying to say. It's the same way the Joker couldn't. I I'm gonna mm. draw another line here. This one is much more squiggly. This one is mm. is not straight. This one likes a vodka gimlet on a Saturday and likes the dish. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'll I'll dispense with the stereotypes. But we are talking about hillbilly elegy here. So, mm. uh, J D Vance is a how do I put this? One of these lizard people um, who. <laughs> Uh, joined the army during the Iraq War, hyper-ambitious, went to Yale Law School, and now works for a, a venture capital firm. Yeah. He, he's also not a very good writer, but he wrote a book um, about his experiences, <laughs> and, it, and it basically espoused all of his political leanings, which are um, very conservative. Um, they basically posit that, um, hey, uh, our government and economy doesn't support people anymore, and it's because people are lazy, <laughs> and they just don't want to do it. Look at my and, family. Yeah, and they're and they're trash people. Yes. Believe me, I come from trash people. Yeah. I come from a long line of trash people. <laughs> yeah, and I made it out okay. Why can't they? It's because they're not thrifty enough or Protestant mm. enough or something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, <laughs> too many drugs. Yes, but uh, so this book got a lot of purchase in conservative media. You'll see J.D. Vance on. Fox News all the time, but it wasn't until Trump won the election in 2016 that people were like, oh no, oh, we've, we've ignored these people, let's put on our pit helmets and, and venture out into the holler <laughs> yeah. and, and find out, what do these hill people want? Um, a, a J.D. Vance, whisper, whisper them to it, like, you know, give, it, give us this message, come down from, uh, not on high, but from, from the valley, from, yeah, from, from the coal mining towns and tell us, even, even though he was from the suburb of, a suburb of Cincinnati, as if he mm. really, really had any connection to these people. And so, yeah, what, what we have here is a New York Times column of a movie, um, which is, I, it, it politically, like, doesn't touch, but you see all the messages there. This is clearly a guy who hates his mom and um, is more consumed with getting the interview um, versus taking care of his family. I thought, you know, you know, like, for a normal movie, like, for non-lizard people, like, they would say, like, oh, I want to buy a ring. I want to buy a, an engagement ring for my fiance Usha. Or, hey, I want to, I'm not going to go to the big interview and get the big job, and I'm going to stay here and take care of my family or something. Again, this yeah. is, this. instead we're following this goblin who's like, no, Mom, I'm abandoning you to make sure I get to my interview on time. <laughs> well, I think that's the, that's the movie tries to have it both ways. Yeah. It wants to say, yes, like, like family's important. Family's the most important thing you can do. But also, give up on her. She's a drain. She's <laughs> sucking you down. <laughs> and so it's like at the end, like again, we're skipping towards the end because it's again so confusing. Yeah. He gives up on his mom. She says like, I have to go. I have to do this interview. And again, it's like the the music swells and it's like meant to be like this heroic thing. <laughs> but John, it's so an like, internship. The most heroic thing you can do for Yale Law School. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> No, this like, is at one of the big firms. He's already in Yale Law School. I think he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a lot of not a lot of law firms are hiring Yale graduates, so he's got to make sure he goes to a good one. <laughs> it's like it. The movie tries to play it like he's doing the noble thing by leaving her behind, <laughs> but you know, like at, even after like 
conveying this message of, like, family's everything. Heal people. We take care of each other. Like, again, the stupid fucking opening act where, like, you know, bullies beat him up at the <laughs> riverside. And then his family shows up because family takes care of family. But then it's like, no, wait, we can't. And yeah. it's like, wow, that was a hard thing for him to... Like, the best you could do it is, like, make it bittersweet or, like, kind of tragic. But instead, this movie tries to have it all ways and be like, oh, no, abandoning his mother was the best thing for her. <laughs> Yeah, so we're jumping around because the movie does, and it's a memoir yeah. with like political commentary, so it doesn't move in a straight line. The movie tries to streamline it to hilariously bad. Well, it effect. tries to be it tries to be like a sappy, family friendly movie, yeah. and tries to I think underplay the kind of political underpinnings. It's like, oh, remember remember when you know, oh, the life used to be nice in the fifties when American industry was a was a thing, yeah. and now look at it, now everyone's on drugs. <laughs> And you know what? It's just because we don't have good families. We need good family values. <laughs> yeah, so I, there's another critic who perfectly described this movie as basically it's a it's a Medea movie for white people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far because th- the problem is, like, at least Medea is, like, a fun, entertaining side character. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's supposed to be for Mima. The, the, the problem is, yeah. like, so we start with uh, kid J.D. Vance. Um, he's with his ill people out in uh, Jackson, Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. Again, honest, good people who who, who mm-hmm. rush to his defense when he's getting bullied. Um, we'll we'll see why he gets rightfully bullied in a second. But um, <laughs> that's really that's the really only hillbilly part we get of it. The rest of the movie takes place in his regular home in Middleton or Middletown, Ohio, which is mm-hmm. like kind of equidistant between uh, Columbus and Cincinnati. It's not, it's I wouldn't call yeah, it hill pure rust belt. Yeah. I wouldn't call it the like, hill people, but yeah, there's like um, flashbacks. There's like old family photos, and yeah, we see this um, flashback of people going to this uh, going to this uh, old timey American job at the steel mill. Um, but now it's mm-hmm. a, now it's a, in 2016. It's a band. Or sorry, the movie takes place in 2011 um, when he's got to get this important job interview. Um, but now it's abandoned, and like, oh, what a shame that is. Oh well, let's let's move on, um, and we, we move on to. Uh, him at Yale Law School, and we're supposed to sympathize with him because he like doesn't understand the etiquette, like he doesn't know yeah the, what the difference. He doesn't know wine. Oh yeah, it's so confusing. Red and white. <laughs> yeah, and or like it's, he doesn't know all the little all the forks and knives that go into a big place yeah. setting, and so the implication is supposed to be like oh. The, the reason that we don't have these steel jobs anymore is because these rich folk at Yale have left them behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not say that, oh, I don't know, um, all the leaders of North America got together and decided, like, let's just put labor the cheapest wherever it is. Uh, Mexico, yeah. great. Uh, oh, China, great. Uh, Bangladesh, yeah. As long as we get cheap clothes, that's fine. Um, uh, housing is getting more expensive while jobs are getting more precarious. Uh, we, we'll do nothing to control that. The free hand of the market will take care of it. Um, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that gets even more confusing when because the complication is his mother ODs on heroin again. Yeah. And his sister calls him and says, We need you to be here. So he's in the midst of trying to get these this internship. So he has to drive ten hours to go visit him. Yeah. So now, there's like this running t- clock. Like will will yeah. I take care of my I gotta take care of my mom, but I also have to be back to home in time for the interview. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, first complication is the fact that uh, her insurance won't let her stay at the hospital any longer, and she can't afford to stay at a rehabilitation you know, clinic mm-hmm. that she needs, obviously. Now, this is something that maybe a program like Medicare or Medicare for All or Universal Basic Income could maybe help with, but no, 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 no. I'm no, no, no. No, John, no. Because then you're... Heaven forfend. <laughs> yeah, because then the insurance that you don't have will be worse, obviously, because exactly. the government's doing it. <laughs> As opposed to what she has now, which is nothing. Yeah. So, no, she gets nothing. And... Oh, wait, there, I forgot. There's a line. She says, I'll let it lapse. Again, bad judgment. Yeah. She's just bad person. <laughs> yep. Not taking responsibility for her actions. That's the only problem. Yes. And the other the other implication being that um, she, uh, she made bad choices. She used to work as a nurse, but, oh, those painkillers were just too tempting mm. and decided to go roller skating in one of the three... Uh, unintentionally hilarious scenes that are in this movie. I'll get to the other two, but uh, she she takes these painkillers, gets high, and starts roller skating. Oh, God forbid, roller skating down the, the hospital corridor. Um, mm-hmm. that, when we when we saw it, it's a great effect in the movie The Fugitive. I don't know why they they think like roller skating. Down well, the- it's because they put on they put on a wide angle lens and the whole like you know After Effects like this person is high filter. So yeah, <laughs> it looked embarrassing. Yeah, there are some technical demerits in this movie like they do shoot some things on the gopro which makes it look mm. awful like you can see the pixelation everything like there's one shot where he's riding his bike there's another one where he's he's witnessing his mom have a have a drug freak out because <laughs> um, <laughs> addicted to heroin but anyway like it, the implication is she's addicted to uh, opiates uh, because she's made bad decisions not because the market has pumped it full no. <laughs> and and it, to basically encourage doctors monetarily to, to, to make sure that they prescribe them. Not because she couldn't get child care. She was a single mother, and yeah. so she had to make all these tough choices. No, she, bad choices. Yes. That's the problem. Yes, she made Not bad because, choices. you know, we don't have universal child care in this country. No, that can't be it. No. Yeah. <laughs> Why should the government pay for that? Yeah, so the movie tries to gloss over all those odious aspects of the book. Um <laughs> But the problem is, I, th- I think at the center of the black hole is the J.D. Vance character. Not the guy in real life, I've never met him. But the, the mm. problem is that uh, the kid is a loser. Um, he deserves to get bullied because he, <laughs> he, he, he likes Magic the Gathering. And in one scene, one where I had to pause because I was laughing too hard. Um, that's something else you can't do in a movie theater. But I had to pause because I was laughing too hard. His, his beloved Mama is uh, watching Terminator 2, uh, one of the greatest mm. movies of all time. And he says... Mom, can we turn on Meet the Press instead? There's something about the Lewinsky scandal. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. This is an 11-year-old boy, and this should tell you all that you need to know about this loser, this oh, this goblin creature who's like, I I, need, I obviously need to tune in and, and look at uh, this political scandal, especially one um, <laughs> um, probably taking on the baby eaters that are in the, the Democratic Party. Um <laughs> And also, what 11-year-old doesn't love T2? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> judgment so what, Day. Like, come on. What what kind of dork? Again, I, I, I don't condone bullying, but this kid deserves to be bullied if he'd rather watch <laughs> Meet the Press, rather watch, I don't know, Tim Russ or talk about old Big Russ back in Buffalo or whatever, rather than watch T2. So. You want to be dead, Mom? Are you just too lazy to try? Oh, I tried. Plenty. You've always got a reason. It's always someone else's fault. Some point, you're gonna have to take responsibility, or someone else what? is gonna have to step in. Who? Huh? Who? You? 
So and it's like and also Mima's whole talk. There's a good Terminator, a bad Terminator, or neutral Terminator. There's no neutral Terminators. <laughs> what the fuck are you watching? Yeah. So okay, let's let's take a step back. We're obviously like we can do our cinema sins or whatever, but let's take a step back. Now, mm-hmm. like Mank, we know why that movie exists. David Fincher wants to direct his father's screenplay as a tribute to his dad. Mm-hmm. Why does this movie exist? It's to get Amy Adams and Glenn Close. Uh, combined thir- 13 Oscar nominations between them with no wins, like ooh, mm-hmm. one more shot at gold. Um, that, how does it work from that effect? Like, what did you think of their performances? <sighs> Fine. I understood their dialogue, I guess. Yeah. Like, it's just so... It's it's hammy, like, is, yeah. is the worst way I can basically describe it. It's like, again, like, the the it's, it's a cynical... Like, it's oozing that kind of desperation for an Oscar, you know, gold from the direction, from the acting as well. So it's like, I wasn't really, like, sold on it. I wasn't, like, absorbed. So I don't know. What did you think? I think they're they're doing the best that they can. Yes, they're playing to the cheap seats. I think they know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they want to... I think they're also done no favors by the material because, as we said, like, this is written by a guy who obviously hates his mother. So um, yeah. Amy Adams, like, character <laughs> reacts badly, like... It can't dramatize these family conflicts. So, like, there are multiple scenes that set off conflict by somebody, like, bumping into something. Like, um, mm, she tries to make yeah. up by going to the store, and he accidentally, like, bumps into the rack, and, like, that erupts conflict. Um, she tries to give him a dog, and then the dog, like, pees in their bedroom and, and uh, knocks over their Easter heirlooms. So that ignites some conflict. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, she's got, like... And it's just absurd. Like you're, you don't believe that this actually happened or something like that. And well, she I think to, it's like, meant to kind of communicate maybe like an undiagnosed like bipolar disorder or something like yeah. that, or else like something else that's mentally going on. It's like because yeah, that's that's a sign of it. It's like it's a scene that's supposed to be joyous, but then one thing just kind of like sets her off. Yeah. Like the other big one, obviously being the car scene. Like after that little incident, you know, it's like a getaway, and she's like happy. And then, you know, he kind of, like, makes fun of her and her choices. And then she's like, I tried to raise you kids right. And then she starts speeding and kind of threatens, like, I could kill the kill you right now. <laughs> like, yeah. And that, that actually, that scene, that's the only scene where I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Because that's, like, the first kind of scene of abuse. And it's not, like, overplayed where it's like, damn you. It's like, slap well, play exactly. fighting. Like, you yeah. don't believe it. Like, I don't. It's it's very mm. possible that this did happen to the real life JD Vance, but the way the movie portrays it, it's ridiculous. Like I did, mm. I didn't believe it for a second, especially when it's preceded by two scenes where, like, again, she blows up over like a glass of milk getting spilled, or again, knocking mm. accidentally knocking over a display in the card store or something. Like, you know, like you just didn't believe it. And the same with um, Glenn Close has her Oscar monologue when her character decides, like, yes, I will take care of JD, even though I'm this old woman. Um, it's clear that uh, my daughter is um, is oh yeah, has too many. Where it gets hushed. Yes, it's, it's the uh, it's the Oscar clip scene. Glenn Close for he'll be the edge. Yes, <laughs> and, sh- and she says like you get that calculator. I spent eighty dollars on it, even though you stole it. And yeah, it's all this like happens in the space of like ten minutes or something. And and um, again, what what follows that <laughs> if is, only he made better personal decisions than well, the eight exactly eighty four wouldn't be eighty four dollars. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, and what follows that impassioned speech is we do see JD uh, straighten up and fly right. He gets a, a job as like a busboy or something, and we mm. see that it motivates him to to work harder. Thanks to Mima's uh, like a uh, big speech. But the problem Tough is this, love. Yeah, but the problem is it's it's very late in the movie. And I'm like, I already know he's straightened up and fly right. Like I'm not like <laughs> I'm not like go JD, you did it. Like I already know you did it, and all that it's amounted to is like, am I gonna get the interview at Yale Law School? <laughs> like I, he's already made it. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. The the whole jumping back and forth really does it no favors. Yeah. Like like and TV does this too much as well where it's like it used to be kind of exciting when it's like, "Oh, we do a flashback and then it's like that informs the character." But if you make it so like fucking blatantly obvious, then it's like yeah. you're not telling us anything new. <laughs> exactly. It's like, "I hate get, like I hate getting sick and then we flash back to the kid being sick and throwing up." It's like, "Yeah, no shit. We didn't need to see this." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. God bless them. They're incredibly talented actresses, actresses, but they're they're playing to the cheap seats of this movie, mm-hmm. which is very badly done with um, just a, a pile of crap for a foundation. <laughs> like I don't think there's any way that you could do a movie with this material and still nope. bring across its its odious politics, its apocryphal personal history, probably. And well, maybe you'd have to give it like the Starship Troopers treatment, where it's like JD Vance is the villain, <laughs> where he's like, "Fuck you! I got out of this That's... town, dragging me." back <laughs> that's the impression i got at the very end of the movie the very final shot he, he makes it back mm-hmm. in time there's no tension either like you know yeah at least in uh very similar to the pursuit of happiness where he has a young son again i'm translating this for non-lizard people like jd vance <laughs> at least he has a son that he's taking care of <laughs> and he makes it the interview even though he's all disheveled and and you know like dirty and stuff but you know yeah. again his passion comes across so he makes it but here, J.D. Vance makes it with plenty of time to spare. He goes into the interview room, and he sits down, and he says, like, uh, it's great to see you, sir. And he scowls, and then cut to black and while the music swells. And I'm like, he, like, how about a smile? How about, like, some sense of fulfillment or joy going on here? But instead, he's like, I'm very serious, a uh, Yale man, and I'm going to go be a venture capital and, uh, like, work for a literal vampire like Peter Thiel. Great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. At least I got my McKinsey money. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So th- that's the kind of, th- that's what it's trying to celebrate. It's trying to celebrate people like uh, McKinsey consultants or something. Yeah. Or, or Deloitte. Yeah. yeah so I don't, maybe we're bringing too much of our personal biases into this because we know too much about J.D. Vance. But I don't know. No, it's, it's a really odious, ugly piece of work that. Well, no, I, I think, I think if the, poli- the, the politics behind it would be fine if the movie wasn't actively like trying to fight against it. Because, again, he abandons his mother. And then what do we get over the end credits? You know, she's been sober for six years. Like <laughs> she finally she eventually buckled up and, you know, got straight. Like, yeah. OK, no thanks to J.D., I guess <laughs> he paid. For, he could pay for that room, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he fucking did. <laughs> Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> How many times you've seen this? Oh, about a hundred. Everyone in this world is one of three kinds. Good Terminator, a bad Terminator, and neutral. You're a good Terminator. Well, I wouldn't always. I had to learn. You could too. I love you. I promise that I'm going to do better. Candy, you got a right to your own life. Don't make us your excuse, J.D. Family's the only thing that means a goddamn. You learn it. Yeah, weird movie. Yeah, weird, weird movie. <laughs> Awful. Let's yep. get let's get back to something sunnier, huh? 
let's get back to more hillbillies. Let's let's get a different <laughs> variety of hillbillies, shall we? Yeah. This one's well, it's also based on personal experiences. It seems a little bit more fictionalized. Let's move on to um, a, a personal, a, a heartfelt story from uh, your favorite writer, John, or I should say, mm. the writer of your favorite movie. Uh, American Beauty. Uh, <laughs> this is Alan Ball's uh, writing, directing, not his directing debut, but um, just a, a sweet little movie on Amazon you can see right now, Uncle Frank. Happy birthday, Daddy Mac. Well, that one's wrapped up so nice it must be from Frank. Electric shoe polisher. Next. I never knew why Daddy Mac was so wow. mean to Uncle Frank. He was the kind of person I wanted to be. Smart and funny and considerate. You're going to be the person you decide to be. You're going to be the person everyone else tells you are. You get to choose. Can I come visit you sometime? Hi, I'm Frank Smith. Oh, my God, Beth, nice meeting you. Frank, don't tell me you were coming. That's because he doesn't know. He doesn't know? Oh, well, OK, this is going to be very exciting. How do you know Uncle Frank? He's my roommate. Wally and I lived together. We have for 10 years. Never known anybody who was gay before. Of course you have. Choir director of church. Mr. Jiggerson? But he's so... What? Religious. Ah. Uncle Frank. Uncle Mank. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> Uncle Mank. Maybe that's a recut we should do. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is another hillbilly elegy of sorts. Uh, this is about... Uh, who is the main character of this movie, Greg? Please tell me. That's a, okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to... I have no... I'm going to make up some history on this one. I think it was okay. supposed to be... I think it was supposed to be Uncle Frank, who, as, as we see at the very beginning, uh, is is a little estranged from his uh, South Carolina family. Uh, he's mm-hmm. an NYU professor. He's a little bit... Uh, he's a little bit more pensive, introverted, more to himself. Like, not not hooting and hollering like his, like his down-home country, country family. Um... <laughs> He's a little bit more area perfectly by Steve Zahn. Hell yeah. yeah. Woo-hoo. <laughs> yeah, so he's a little bit more erudite, and we see some friction between him and him and his father. Now, this is all seen through the eyes of his niece, who's 16 years old, um, wants to be like him, wants to be like sophisticated and urbane like he is. Uh, she doesn't quite fit in with the family either. And so mm-hmm. they, and so she eventually does get to go to NYU, a school where he teaches, but that's when she learns that um, he's actually gay and has a domestic partner of uh, uh, however many years, at least 10 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, the father passed away, and he's required to go home, and they think, oh, this is the time to come out, I think, maybe. Uh, we don't know. Like, he doesn't want his partner there. Um, she's He's even reticent about her knowing the secret, so, like, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? And, and in that, he's also getting flashbacks to some trauma um, tied to his sexuality back when he was growing up. So I, th- I think... I, again, I don't know the history of this movie, but I think it was supposed to be about him. But then people are, I think somebody at Amazon Studio says, like, that's not going to make a trailer. Here's what's going to make a trailer is if you get um, this young girl to do voiceover for it. And she doesn't have to do anything. She doesn't have to learn anything. She doesn't have to change the character. But she does get to supply voiceover and basically be like a, a conduit character. Because we can't have our, our main character be gay. Not when, I don't know, like 90% of our audience isn't that and could never identify with a gay character. So. That's I think that's the reason that she's there is to basically be in the trailer. Mm-hmm. But there's also a few scenes where it's like it's obviously meant to be from her perspective. Like for instance, the party where yeah. she eventually meets her part meets his partner and figures out that he's gay. It's like it's meant to be really awkward for her, mostly because she's you know 18. She's never been to a party before. But then it's like there's stuff there that just kind of like kind of blows her mind. Like a white person and a black person making out. Yeah. What? <laughs> 
like it's meant to kind of demonstrate that she's like very green and obviously not like doesn't belong here so it's like oh okay yeah from the beginning she was meant to be the main character and we're meant to be the audience pov Mm -hmm. right but also you're right like then it shifts over and then like uncle frank is like the main character through and through we see his freaking flashbacks are crying out loud so it's like whose perspective are we seeing this movie through i'm i'm kind of confused yeah i i think I think there's a reason for that. I think it was also changed by test audiences because mm. the very first meeting between, uh, or at least the first conversation we see between his niece, whose name I can't remember, uh, Beth, right? She, mm-hmm. uh, that's a, I guess that's a key thing. Like she, she wants goes to go by like a couple names because yeah. her family calls her one thing and she wants to have her own name. So. Yeah, so it's I guess a little touch of identity thing there. But um, her name's Beth, and she in our first conversation with Uncle Frank, Uncle Frank uh, kind of proves his. Um, uh, let's say sexually progressive bona fides by saying like, "Hey, if you ever get pregnant, come to me," or like, mm. "Let's talk it out," or something, so that you don't have to be like these hick pill people and get uh, <laughs> get married at sixteen because you got pregnant for the first time or something. And I thought that that's how they were going to meet up or something. Like she has a boyfriend in New York. They she gets knocked up like accidentally or something and goes to him for help. And maybe that's why she was puking instead of like having her first martini or something. Like, mm. and, but I don't know, like, again, maybe it tested poorly with audiences. And like, let's, let's think of something else. Um, oh, she accidentally gets drunk and her boyfriend isn't really the boyfriend. He's just using her to get close <laughs> to uh, Paul Bettany, who, like, in the most convoluted uh, seduction <laughs> scheme ever. Like, you know, d- dude, if you're really gay, like, you don't need to, like, pretend to be his niece's boyfriend or something like he has office hours you can just start a yeah. conversation that way or like I exactly <laughs> i don't know he probably goes to like stonewall or there's a club that you can meet him at i don't know like there's they're way less complicated but no greg you he, he can't because he's 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 got trouble with alcohol and we know uh, that because there's a line that says uh are you drinking no because you know you have problems with that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay yeah so i don't, I don't want to copy anybody but um i remember this review from Roger Ebert, where he says, like, in a in a drama like this, there are things that, like, clang. Like, you hear this mm-hmm. clang, there's something, like, dishonest. And, and yeah, th- as we get into a little bit more, like, we see a little bit more of Uncle Frank's backstory, that's one of the things. It never really... The implication is that he's uh, recovering... He's a recovering alcoholic, and that his partner... Wally. Yeah, Wally um, is basically keeping him from that. Or, or like... Helping to, him, yeah. Yeah, helping him, like, stay on the straight and narrow there. But there's, like, other lines where, like, he, he tells his niece, like, I'm a southern boy and I like bacon. He doesn't like pork or whatever. It's a, it's against his religion. And I'm like, she knows that you're a southern boy. <laughs> like, and, again, you hear this, like, clang of, like, something that just doesn't feel, that just doesn't ring true. Um, well, so Glenn Weldon actually put a perfect perfect line to, uh, to Alan Ball's work, which is he describes his work as over-seasoned and undercooked. So it's like there's there's too many kind of unnecessary details and also like it's not thought out well enough where it's like, again, you need that kind of clanky line. It's like, well, you know, you have trouble with alcohol. So it's like that's the undercooked aspect. And then the over seasoned aspect is like, you know, the overpiling of like, oh, he lives in New York, but he's got a southern family who's religious and hates gay people. Like it's like there's too many kind of obvious layers there. So, (laughs) yeah, I guess. Well. Let's let's get back to that broader why question. Like, what's the intention here? And I think mm-hmm. the intention is to do a coming out story in a genial, pleasant way. I think that's the ultimate thing. Because uh, let's get to the let's I don't know get to the meat meat and potatoes of the story a little bit more. Like, mm-hmm. yes, his father passes away, but it's clear that his father hates him for his homosexuality, and mm-hmm. it leads to this 
dramatic reading, like, um, the coming out is, is read at his will, and uh, he leaves his son out of his will and says, because he's a deviant homosexual, and I, I hate that, and that, exactly. that re-triggers his, his trauma with his first love and uh, his alcoholism, and then Wally mm-hmm. and his niece have to go chase after him. Now, following that, it, it, we do get some world-class actors like Steve Zahn and Margot Martindale, and, and there is like a reconciliation. There's like a, like, hey, we love you no matter what. Um, and I think that's, I think I think that's the main point of the movie. And from that point of view, like it does work. Like, it's a very good-looking movie. Amazon's very good at this. They do some wonderfully the some wonderful cinematography in all their movies, and it's definitely true here. And like I I do appreciate that from from just trying to do like a nice. I don't, I don't want to say nice, genial <laughs> coming out story because they're always fraught and they're always dramatic. So, yeah. or generally fraught and dramatic. And like trying to do that from that perspective and have a happy ending where a, a man is like accepted by his Southern Hick family. Um, <laughs> I think the intention works there. It's just everything else that he kind of filled it with, like the, the niece character who doesn't grow or change at all, uh, yeah. the Wally character who's like a. Uh, that's actually Alan Ball's husband, the guy who plays Wally. And I'm sure oh, really? He, yeah, and I'm sure he wanted to write, like, a plum part for his partner, but, like, yeah, it's, it's he's just kind of a goofball and a little bit comic relief and has to, like, yeah. has, to, has to play worried when, like, oh, no, Frank's disappeared. Like, where could he possibly be? And, you know, like... He's just given no favors there, and yeah, it's just it's just it's just a little clunky. I admire the intention, but yeah, like overall, the effect is like clunky, and not super compelling, and you know, just like it's, yeah, and there's not enough story there either. It's yeah. like we basically gave the whole game away. It's like the big kind of third act twist is yeah, the reading of the will, and his father outs him to everybody. Yeah, and it's like that's pretty much it. And then there's <laughs> the reconciliation, and you know, the forgiveness, and that's that's pretty much all there is. Sadly, it's it's a pretty thin movie. Yeah. All, all things considered, so yeah, I it's don't... it's ninety minutes. It is like air. I think it it's more designed to be like a like like running through one of those uh, light forested areas to a lake in South Carolina or North Carolina. It... <laughs> I say hill folk. It looks like eastern North Carolina, which is just yeah. flat flat nothing. Um, so <laughs> also his father catches him because he leaves the fucking door open. It's like come on, like <laughs> stupid. <laughs> At least, like, contrive a reason. It's like, oh, he left his baseball cards here. I'm going to go up to his room, open the door. Oh, no, what's this? <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, that, that his father's played by Stephen Root. Um, and you have to work really hard to make Stephen Root unlikable. Like, yes. you really, really have to Well, no, incredibly him. talented actor, but it it is kind of one note, because he is just the, like, unrepentant, yeah. unrepentant bigot uh, mm-hmm. and, towards his son. And so... Like you've got these wonderful actors who have so many dimensions, and yet they're only allowed to do one thing. Like Margot oh, yeah, Martindale's poor... just supposed to be her, like, oh, big fun-loving self, self, and yep. you know, says. Like, and poor Judy Greer gets done, like, stuck with the ditzy, like, housewife where she doesn't even know what's going on. Like, yeah. Like she's also kind of meant to be comic relief. It's yeah, it's really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Wasted talent here. Yeah, I mean, so not perfect. I, I still like have a, I guess, a little appreciation behind the intention of it, and. Mm-hmm. Like some of the resulting technical aspects, like I don't know if the old cars are cool on the road trip, um, which yeah, isn't really a road trip. Yeah, I felt like I was in the seventies, so there yeah. we go. Mm-hmm. Well, that is Eastern North Carolina, so you do have that. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> there you go. <laughs> Zing, boom, roasted, roasted, <laughs> got him. What is the relationship between the two of you and the young lady over there? Oh, she's my niece. I'm his nephew. That doesn't sound right. That sounds wronger and wrong. 
You're not gonna run away from this your whole life. Frank! You need to be part of your family. I don't want to be a part of my family. But I traveled a long way. So when you told me I should be what I want to be, that was just bullshit. Now that conversation changed my life. But I sure If that seems like your kind of appealing thing. I wish we could be more positive um, in this recent release. I, I feel like everything's thrown up in the air because of the pandemic. I, I wish we could. I wish we could offer people like some light of hope, like oh, this movie's revelatory or like worthy of Oscars at the end of the year. And yeah, none, none of these films are. I, I mean, that's kind of a weird thing. Is like a lot of things are getting pushed to streaming, and it's kind of it's weird. I think the problem is a lot of these movies we we watched were intended to go straight to streaming, so it's yeah. like they weren't going to compete in theaters. Because, and even then, it's like that's not really a mark of quality if it if it goes to theaters. But it is kind of weird how they make that calculus where it's like, oh, this is gonna this is gonna go to virtual theaters for twenty buck rental, and then this one uh, we sold it to Hulu, so it's gonna be a Hulu movie. Like it's, and again, like that's not. It's hard to kind of gauge where that decision making was or if that has any kind of inclination on what the quality of the movie is because because for my recent release i watched a hulu original oh that's right one of their most popular movie uh, streams so far this year the lesbian christmas movie <laughs> aka happiest season <laughs> wait a minute they said that about palm springs so which is it which one's doing better <laughs> i need some hard numbers from these streaming services all right otherwise we're going to antitrust act like you like you did the movie hey, theaters Greg. in 1948 <laughs> I'm gonna bring that. up the ledge. I'm gonna bring up the lawsuit myself. No, I don't have a, a, a law degree or anything. I'm gonna do it myself. Greg, where's the trust? Okay. <laughs> when Hulu says their lesbian Christmas movie was a hit, then I we feel good about that, and exactly. that's a good thing. Dis- Disney had a nice presentations with uh, logos projected behind them. Don't doesn't that make you feel good? <laughs> But yes, I, I finally caught up on uh, the Kristen Kristen Stewart starring uh, Happy Season. Yeah, you were I about, to say, really you were about to say Kristen Wiig, weren't you? <laughs> I, very, very close. Yeah, because <laughs> this is the kind of movie that Kristen Wiig would do, but maybe not Kristen Stewart. So, I mean, that's kind of the problem with the movie. It's like it's it's a romantic comedy through and through to its bones. But mm-hmm. I feel like it had it has zanier elements at times but not enough it it kind of is like pitched too perfectly down the middle where it's like oh it's you know a, it's it's not really a romantic comedy because it's like it's more about them they're already in a relationship at the start of the film yeah and it's 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 hot and heavy you know and in in a moment of kind of like of of of, of exuberant excitement around the christmas season uh Kristen Stewart's girlfriend Harper says, hey, why don't you come home with me for Christmas? My okay. family makes a big a big to-do. All right, so can you, can you give me more details on how hot and heavy it gets, please? <laughs> they, it's, again, like, talking, going back to, like, the zany aspect of it. Like, yeah. So they're on this date where they're, like, doing, like, a little Christmas light tour yeah. where it's, like, they're, you know, this, this little neighborhood does, like, a big show for all their houses. And so Abby, her girl, or no, sorry, Harper is the girlfriend. Abby is Kristen Stewart. Okay. I, I, I should know their names. Okay. <laughs> so Harper is played by Mackenzie Davis. Uh-huh. Abby is played by Kristen Stewart. Harper is like, oh, we get a great view of the roofs. So they have to like kind of scuttle up to the roofs kind of illegally. Okay. And so, and they almost get caught. And then 
you know, Abby ends up dangling from the roof for a hot second. It's not, it's like a two-story building. She ends up falling on like a big inflatable snowman. So it's like it's got zany aspects like that. And like okay. after that it's, kind it's, of like their hearts racing from danger, you know, they were almost caught like blah, blah, blah. That's when she invites her to come home for Christmas. And the whole the title of the movie when it should John, that is called. not that is not hot and heavy in the way that I was hoping, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg, this is tasteful, okay? All right, it's fine. pitched right down the middle, okay? Okay, so it's not the L word, I see. <laughs> yes, no, it's not the L word. There's no murders, sadly. So <laughs> all right. So like I wish the movie kinda had a little more like zaniness or had like a little more screwball comedies. It has a handful of scenes like that, like there's a scene, obviously, um, the big complication is Harper invites her to Christmas in this kind of, like, moment of passion, and then the next morning, she's kind of unsure about it because the fact is she's not out to her parents. She doesn't even know that Abby is her uh, real partner. She's mm-hmm. She claims that she's her roommate. And then the whole movie is basically poor Kristen Stewart being put in a corner while Harper's around doing zany antics. So, which again, could have been zanier, could have been more fun. That's kind of the problem with the movie. We spend all the time with Abby when we should be spending it with Harper because Harper's the one with the arc. Harper's the one who's, you know, going through the struggle. She wants to impress her parents. She has this kind of rivalry with her sister, Alison Brie, about who's the favorite. And they're both like kind of competing with their kind of like, you know, hoity-toity, you know, Yale Law student family, like, (laughs) where, you know, who's the favorite, and so that's why she's never came out to them, that's why she's never talked about her, you know, gay inclinations before, she wants to be the perfect daughter, Mm -hmm. so it's like, the the problem with the movie is, like, if you're gonna go into romantic comic territory, really lean into it, and like, again, like, there's not enough of that. And then again, they should have made Harper the main character, not Abby, because poor Kristen Stewart has like nothing to do but just be sad in the corner. That's what I'm wondering. Like this is a romantic comedy. That I wouldn't cast. I wouldn't cast Kristen Stewart for romantic comedy. She's like she's very good at drama and turning and intoning like kind of heavier material, but not yeah. but not doing like pratfalls and hanging off ledges and stuff. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. It's like half the movie is those kind of like sad internalized moments where she's like, oh, really? you know, awkwardly, awkwardly in the corner of the frame, like not being comfortable at this, you know, fancy party with all her Republican friends, you know? Uh, so like that's a majority of the movie, unfortunately, when it could have been, you know, like, and again, obviously there's the big blow up at the end where it's like everyone's fighting and Alison Bree's character is the one who goes, well, she's a lesbian, da, da, da. Yeah. you know, like. And it's again, it could have been zanier. It's like there ends up being a fist fight, and you know, the tree falls over, obviously. <laughs> but you know, like, come on, like, that's baseline, guys. Like, you could have been way more creative with it. Obviously, the tree's gonna fall over at some point, but it's like, what else do you bring into the story? Come on, <laughs> but yeah, the tree falls over, and our serious, uh, our dead, our, our dead straight, uh, look at uh, sexuality and what, what, why we still can't feel like we can express ourselves because I know this is from a the filmmaker is a lesbian, and mm-hmm. Kristen Stewart's also a lesbian. And yeah, I could see like they 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 want to tell their story, but like yeah, the, I think the tone is is odd. Or why why we would go like so conventional to have like again the Christmas tree falling over or Pratt falls or the gay bless, best friend played by Dan Levy yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which actually, I at first I was kind of like annoyed, but then he does actually get a few funny scenes because right. part of his role is that the reason why he's brought in is because Abby promised to do some pet sitting 
uh-huh. instead of going to Christmas. That's what her original plan was. So she invites Stan to do the pet sitting instead. And he ends up killing a few pets. So it's it's funny. It turns out to be funny. <laughs> no, that's funny. <laughs> now that's funny. Now that's comedy. Yeah. What about um Aubrey Plaza? I know she plays Abby's ex or something. Or Yeah, so she plays Abby's ex. And so, uh, you know, as uh, Harper, no, uh, she plays Harper's ex. Okay. And so while Harper's running around, you know, trying to be like the perfect little daughter, her and Abby actually get a few scenes. And again, like, but that's when it gets into like kind of like serious mode because like uh, Alison Bree's character kind of confesses. It's like, yeah, I've been there before. Like, like they kind of oh, so they friendship out okay. of it. Yeah, exactly. Which then turns into accusations. It's like, why are you hanging around with my ex so much? Oh, you know, like okay. again. Other like kind of complications, and it just kind of piles onto the conflicts they're already having. So. That's that's unexpected. I was expecting like a zany rivalry, like no, like Abby Praz's character would try to sabotage their relationship in in zanier no, ways. The zany rival, the zany rivalries between Mackenzie Davis and Allison Brie. Okay, so. all right. And Allison Brie is actually toned down a bit, I think, for this role. She's very like steely. She's kind of like oh, she's the kind of character who sucks all the oxygen out of the room instead of like her manic energy that she brings and stuff like community. So okay, yeah, all right. And actually, my favorite sister is the third one, uh, Jane, played by Mary Holland. She's like the kooky one, you okay. know, where the other two are like the rivals because they're like both playing to trying to play perfect. Like the two parents admit, like we kind of gave up on her after the biting didn't stop after kindergarten. So, <laughs> so she's uh, like the kooky one. <laughs> okay. And there's a few obs- well-observed moments and I laughed out loud a few times, but yeah, it's fine. It's right. fine. It's fine. That's fine. Lightweight uh, Christmas entertainment. I don't know. Was it designed to go to theaters or it just wound up on Hulu or something? Or? I think it just ended up on Hulu. And right. I think it was always kind of meant to be a streaming. Yeah. Right. Exclusive. That's what it feels like. It doesn't really feel right. like it was more more oppression for the market for our LGBTQ community. You can't. There you go, Uncle yep. Frank, and now this. Yep. What does it end, folks? I don't know. That's grave injustice. This is why theaters should be shuttered because they refuse to make corrections in our culture. Yeah. Here's the thing: independent gay cinema. All right, we've got gay bars. We need gay movie theaters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I want to know what goes on in those movie theaters. <laughs> I saw, I saw Philadelphia. <laughs> tasteful stuff, Greg. Tasteful stuff. Okay. How dare you? Anyway, Greg, what did you catch up on? I caught up on a documentary that is a little political. I say a little because like its, mm. it's intentions are a little unclear. Um, the documentary mm. is called The Way I See It, and it's about Pete Souza. John, do you remember who Pete Souza is? Yes, he is the photographer for the Obama White House and apparently also the Reagan White House. Yeah, so uh, he was, for just to give people a recap, he was one of the first hashtag resistance heroes. Um, mm-hmm. I say hashtag resistance very intentionally because he was, he's been a White House photographer, yes, since the Reagan administration. And uh, following his, I don't know, I guess he was dismissed because... Um, Again, things change hands. Sometimes there's continuity, sometimes there isn't. This is obviously there wasn't a lot of continuity between the Obama White House and the Trump. Wait, one. you're telling me Donald Trump fired somebody? I. What? But he he hires all the best people. I I'm confused. <laughs> well, 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 he surrounds himself with the best people, like Rudy Giuliani, hotshot lawyer Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, we'll get to that. But basically, what uh, Pete Souza did was uh, take to social media and set up these kind of um, 
let's say, passive-aggressive comparisons between the smart, um, serious leadership of, uh, of Barack Obama and the cartoonishness of, uh, or like, <sighs> and, and adding a comment that uh, created a counterpoint between the cartoonishness or the unqualified nature of uh, President Trump, President Cheeto, as it were. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Take that, Donald. <laughs> yeah. And so he called you a Cheeto. Yeah. <laughs> I that, bet you feel That ridiculous. was me. <laughs> Pete Souza has more uh, taste and decorum to not say that. Again, he's using mm. passive-aggressive techniques. Or somebody said shade. Um, she, oh. she gets no credit. A woman made this, basically wrote his, second, his uh, first coffee table book for him called Shade because they, she dubbed him the king of shade. She doesn't even get a mention. She gets like one mention, but that's it. <laughs> really? Um, oh, yeah. God. He probably owes his whole career to her at this point. Because, yeah, the most fascinating stuff, this is a, this is a bit of a... I say it's quasi-political because it doesn't go too deep. Um, like <laughs> like uh, Pete Souza and the Obama administration as a whole, it's about how things look. It's about optics. And so yeah. um, <laughs> and so that's really what the, 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 the documentary can't just come out and say, like, hey, because I think it was produced in cooperation with MSNBC. MSNBC so you, mm. sh- you should really know. It can't quite come out and say, like, Trump is dangerous. Trump is bad. Vote him out. Yeah. Like you know, this is very intentionally released in October. So like, it can't quite come out and say that. And instead, it gives a, a little bit more biographical detail. Pete Souza and alternating that with basically the eight years of the Obama administration. And the Pete Souza stuff is a little bit more fascinating because again, I had no idea. Like you, I didn't have an idea going in that he worked for three administrations prior to that. But it only, like, touches on, like, hey, are you a member of the press or are you um, a propaganda minister? <laughs> like, you know, just trying to make the president look good. Um, yeah. And it only, like, briefly touches on that. And he just affirms, like, uh, no, I'm, I'm a member of the press and I show things uh, warts and all. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> and, no, I've, I've, I've listened to an interview with him and it's yeah. like they it, it basically was the same thing where it's like, they they mention it. It's like, uh, excuse me, like you've worked for both administrations. Like, where are your political leanings? Don't worry about it. That's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> my my political leanings are to the office of the White House, and I think that's yeah. Like, it's it's taking this like down the line position. Like, I believe in America. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's that it's that Lincoln Project kind of like nasty taste in your mouth, where it's like we're we're just here for America, folks. Yeah. <laughs> like, what can't we just keep it together? Yeah. So. So it can't, like, come out and, and say that. And so, like, when it does do – so the best parts are the little trivia. Like, I did you know that um, Obama also officiated Pete Souza's wedding? Oh. I think he got married in 2011, and they actually had a, a ceremony in the Rose Garden between him and his wife. I think his wife was also, like, a, a White House staffer or something at that at mm-hmm. that point. And, um, and so, like, yeah, they have, like – like video, like it's probably like home movie footage of Obama actually officiating this wedding, and I thought like, oh, that's neat, or I I don't know, like um him like whether he's allowed in like certain rooms or something, and you know he says like oh, Obama was very transparent, um he wanted everybody mm. to know what's going on, unlike some other administrations, tut tut tut, <laughs> <laughs> and so like some of the behind the scenes stuff is interesting, but what's less compelling is it can't go into actually like the details of anything like what are your politics like uh i believe in america anyway um, the obama administration uh, uh obama like uh take or uh obama taking out bin laden good um the, uh, this uh school this school shooting bad oof bad day at the white house um <laughs> yeah yeah and of course can't can go into like well what happened after the shooting like did we finally implement gun control like uh, anyway um mm. 2012 was also <laughs> yeah. a good year yeah <laughs> 
So like it's not a it's not a political if you're looking for a political polemic documentary this is obviously not it this is more like mm-hmm. that it kind of again to glide along until it, it's clear that they couldn't finish it with their intention like in 2020 because like we cut to uh, then Zoom footage of um of uh, oh no Pizza, oh so, no yeah. <laughs> And then at the very end, like in the final five minutes, it just becomes this montage of like, as white people say, everything going on. Because <laughs> then like we show, oh, like no. we have photographs of, of doctors and nurses trying their best to curb the pandemic. And then, oh, the latest Black Lives Matter protests like coming up and it's supposed to be swelling music. And then this is as how as overt it gets. Um, there's like kind of a shot slipped in at the very end of it's like uh, Obama shaking hands with uh, Joe Biden. And that's how like overt it gets in terms of like actually telling you like who to vote for or like yeah so i i say like not not boring but like again you can't we're gonna ask the same question we did of all these other movies is why and um (laughs) again the why is very is very obvious but i wish it had more either conviction or i I don't know could just like just be more interesting in terms of like telling me about the white house photographer like yes the posts were like fun back in january 2017 but um you know you got to give me more if you're going to fill up uh, an hour and 40 minutes of my time so uh yeah it only does that it only does that sparingly um because again the, the source material's thin like you know pete Sousa, like oh i fell in love with photography at college you know dot 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 i did social media posts and that's it <laughs> <laughs> I threw shade at the president. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Cooper, eat your heart out. Yeah. Again, <laughs> hashtag resistance. Um, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's that, it's that kind of like mess. It's that, it's that kind of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like social media just has a weird way of like flattening everything out. And like, that's, what's so annoying about like seeing these hashtag resistance things. It's like, we're doing our part. What's yours? Like, <laughs> And well, again, that kind of like non-committal like call to action, where it's like, guys, vote. Come on, it's so important. Yeah. Well, it's it's easy and psychologically satisfying. Like I use that mm-hmm. term, like they're they're passive aggressive posts, and there's something so like I I don't like passive aggression. Like I don't like a, like how condescending it can make you feel. And yes, in the moment, it makes you feel like psychologically satisfying. But like, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't build community. It doesn't build a coalition or something. So no. like, yeah, and it doesn't that's, get laws passed. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't improve people's lives. So that's why I use the term hashtag resistance instead of saying actual resistance. Like, um, I don't know, mm-hmm. some th- politicians who did have the bravery to run in, in districts and, and have a mandate that would improve people's lives and change things. But obviously um, obviously the way our current structure – or uh, the way America is currently constituted, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So, no. Yeah, not as long as Mitch McConnell's in office. Well, not just him, but like obviously MSNBC has no interest in that either. Um, no, that's that's also true. Yeah, <laughs> because again, their their whole board is nothing but William Randolph Hearst. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we brought it full circle. I'm sorry we didn't have anything more wholeheartedly to recommend. Um, you know what? Watch Citizen Kane. I do it every Christmas. Watch Citizen Kane. <laughs> The perfect Christmas movie, Citizen Kane. Yes. That's why it's a snow globe at the beginning, guys. It's a, it's a Christmas movie. Hit his replacement for Rosebud. Spoiler alert, Rosebud was his beloved childhood sled, and his uh, adoptive father tries to replace it at Christmas. So it's a Christmas movie. And in one of the great, greatest cuts, all he goes, Merry Christmas, Charles. Merry Christmas. Cut to future and a happy new year. And then he's dictating, remember? Boom. Brilliant. 
brilliant filmmaker. I'm going to say oh. greatest movie of all time. <laughs> I forgot to mention at the end of Lesbian Christmas movie, aka Happiest Season, they go see the final shot is them all going to see It's a Wonderful Life at the end, showing the magic of the movies in uh, the cinema. I, I should have brought it full circle there. Ugh. Yeah. If only. Oh. Yep. Movies are movies change hearts and minds, guys. Exactly. God All bless right. public domain that. movies. Like it's a wonderful life. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, if you want to join the hashtag resistance, you need to follow us on social media. Absolutely. Because we're we're posting all these missives against forty five. If he even is our president, he right. won't be much longer. But <laughs> I, let's get in a few last jabs while we can. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it'll it'll be so boring. I know people were like, I'd rather like turn off and tune out the news or whatever what the president's doing. But uh, you people will come crawling back, I think. And you can do that <laughs> at at Facebook at Aspiring Snobs on Twitter at Aspiring Snobs um, it's spelled exactly like it sounds uh, we're mm. also on Instagram give us a follow there you'll hear our our little missives our hashtag resistance missives and uh, I don't know whatever else will cut your fancy I think, uh, I think we're good at social media I think uh, I, uh, sure sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to get in touch with us personally we're at Aspiring Snobs at gmail.com send us an email uh, give us some recommendations. I, and we wouldn't do R and R's if we had a long list of uh, movies to look at. But <laughs> yeah, so if if you have any recommendations for us or want to revisit one of your personal favorites, please reach out to us, and maybe we'll consider doing it for the show. Yes, um, we do have some movies lined up though for the following weeks. This one will come out after Christmas, but it has a little. It's it's a little Christmassy, and it's a, it's the holidays, folks. All right, listen, it's our show. We can do whatever we want. Okay. <laughs> yeah, screw you. We'll do what we want. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Even though it's a week behind Christmas, let's we're we're doing another Christmas movie, one that we've fairly sadly have not caught up on. We're doing Love Actually. Yeah, this is the. I guess now in an annual rotation next to It's a Wonderful Life, but it's never actually like caught our attention, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it's it's British. I think that's the problem. Yeah, and they say Happy Christmas like weirdos? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's British. Uh, it's about happy people reconnecting, and we're not about that life. But, you know, no. maybe, yeah. This will, this will be oh, our yes. first uh, Richard Curtis joint. Um, I know he's at... Uh, who is Richard Curtis? <laughs> who is Richard Curtis? John. All right, well, be ready next week. I'm going to give you a whole education on British romantic comedies, including Four Weddings at a Funeral, Notting Hill, oh, About okay. Time, uh, Yesterday. Yeah, so basically, John, he's, he's about to get, if he hasn't already, he's going to be knighted um, for his contributions oh. to British culture. Um, <laughs> just contributions just to British. Just BAFTAs all the way down. Got yeah. it. <laughs> so, some contributions which were stolen, like a lot of things at the British Museum. But uh, no. we'll get to that, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that next week. Um, okay. Yeah. Anyway, right. well, happy, happy Christmas, everybody. <laughs> happy Christmas, everybody. May all acquaintance be. That's New Year's. No, we're going to do it. Oh, shit. You're right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Take two. Okay. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. 